Welcome to Elephants in the Room podcast. I am Ari Marie, and this week's topic is being Black in America. In choosing this specific topic, I want to address the reality of being Black in the workforce, at school, stereotypes, racism, and more. Not only will I address these topics, I will discuss solutions to overcome the obstacles we face as an inferior race throughout current and past events. Now, I mentioned in episode two that after I moved to Atlanta, I started feeding my mind with knowledge and positivity as a part of my healing process when dealing with trauma. And I picked back up one of my favorite pastimes, which was reading. And the first book that I read was Think and Grow Rich, A Black Choice by Dennis Kimbrough and Napoleon Hill, which was given to me by my goddad. So shout out to him. Um, And it was a major eye opener for me. And the starting point for the major shift in my mindset towards life and what I wanted for myself and for my people. It encouraged me to not only pursue my dreams, but genuinely believe that I can accomplish every goal I set for myself with confidence and understand what it's going to take to succeed as a young Black woman in America. And one thing that stuck out to me in the book was the subject of life's paradox that most of us feel that we are capable of more than we've shown, but we don't take the necessary steps to change our circumstances. And that statement spoke volumes to me because we do often place limitations on ourselves and get in our own way of going after what our hearts desire because of what society says or just settling for what's comfortable. And the book also touches on how society confuses popularity with superiority or excellence. Um, And the psychiatrist and author of A Man's Search for Himself, Rollo May, was referenced to shed light on how we must avoid conformity in order to fulfill our destiny. Quote, man simply conforms. Many people feel they are powerless to do anything effective with their lives. It takes courage to break break out our settled mode, but most find conformity more comfortable. This is why the opposite of courage in our society is not cowardice, it's conformity, end quote. Um, I just feel like that there's so much truth in that statement. More times than not, we often pick jobs and careers that are safe because we're scared to go after what we truly want because we're told that we need more Black doctors, lawyers, teachers, etc., and we have enough athletes, actresses, or musicians, et cetera. Or maybe we're too afraid to go against the norm because we're afraid to disappoint family or afraid of rejection, myself included, and that we, like I said, I stayed at school another year knowing that I was unhappy and that accounting wasn't the career for me. It wasn't until I read, like, Think and Grow Rich, A Black Choice, or Charlemagne's Black Privilege, Opportunity Comes to Those Who Created, and many other books that I knew that I, too, could achieve levels of success, like the people that I read about. Now, before I get into what it's like to be Black in America, first, I want to talk to my people. We all know that it's hard being Black in America, but we do have to acknowledge that we sometimes are the reason things are hard for us because of the excuses we make for ourselves or the people that we blame for our shortcomings. We hold on to the fact that our people have been oppressed for decades. 
were born into lower class families or that were exposed to drugs and violence in comparison to our white peers. Despite those things being true, we don't have to accept that lifestyle for the rest of our lives. The same people that we idolize and look up to came from similar backgrounds as us, if not worse, and was able to make it out. So it's okay to want more and go after more because in reality, wealth is a mindset. And once we realize that, we can attain higher levels of success. Now, to address the elephant in the room, being Black in America is not easy by far. But what I will say is despite how much harder it is for us, I love being Black and I love my people. And I thought it was important to have male perspectives of what it's like being Black in America. So I invited my homies from the What Up Joe podcast for some conversation. So fellas, go ahead and introduce yourselves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? Man. Go ahead. Um, yeah, um, Danny Twelve Tree. You know what I'm saying? One half of the What Up Joe podcast here, tuning in to help my help my uh, my beautiful friend Ari do her thing on the elephant in the room and help her address the situation here. Thank you, thank yeah, you. We already know Rashad Nasir, other half of the What Up Joe podcast, aka the Pod Father podcast, Poppy Dick <laughs> podcast, Poppy. <laughs> <laughs> Running with it. all 2020, niggas. Right? <laughs> Y'all. Father. Okay. So I know I just like did a whole little spiel there, that. but I first definitely... and, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. First and foremost, <laughs> before we go, because I like to give you your flowers in a moment. Great fucking introduction. Great yeah, way to stop. I'm you. like, I'm looking at this shit like shit. She sure she want to guess? Right. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, no. I really appreciate that. But like, for real, this episode, I'm like, this is not just no, no little small episode. Like, when I talk about this, like, I'm talking about I'm doing research. Like, I legit have notes. I watched uh, the speech that Louis Farrakhan gave that my grandmother told me to watch. Like, nah, like, this shit is real. And I feel like we, I need to emphasize how real it is like history is important and we need to we need to address this shit period so now i'm coming like i'm coming with the facts this episode no, that's deep. i love it <laughs> no yeah that was tough Thank you. <laughs> um yeah is there anything that y'all wanted to say just uh about some things that i might have said before uh we get into some of these questions i got um, i do um Especially with kind of picking back, picking backing off what you were saying, in terms of like um, your pastime of reading a book. Okay? okay, just something simple, and it's like I think we really undervalue—not all of us, but a lot of us do—undervalue the importance yeah. of just reading a book, especially as it applies to us being black in America. And and mm-hmm. historically, what I would say, suffering from a lack yes. of information, knowledge, or resources that often can be found in books. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. And, it, and it's one of them things where it's like, it's one thing to be a byproduct of your environment, which may be limited in resources, but anything yep. can be a learning experience. And so 
I try to look at it like think about being in a dark house with having all of your blinds down and closed. A lot of Uh us, our minds are just like that. And I think by, you know, challenging yourself to be open to different avenues of knowledge and information is equivalent to having multiple streams or avenues of light enter into your house. And that's something that we need today. Yeah. You said that shit like <laughs> no, that was well. deep. That's for sure. Like um I just wanna um touch on what you said about um people not taking uh the responsibility amongst themselves. Mm-hmm. I mean sure we've been oppressed for 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 many, many years, um centuries even. And um but there comes a time where um knowing the cards, you know, knowing what what card you're dealt, broker, like you right. have to still have a a straight face, right? You gotta have, you gotta, you gotta learn how to bluff, so to speak, right? You know what I'm saying? You mm-hmm. gotta, you gotta use what you got to win the game. Um, and um, I think black people have been doing a better job of that. Um, you know yeah. what I'm saying? In, in recent years, uh, you know, mm-hmm. entrepreneurship is is huge amongst black people yeah. right now. Love to maybe at an all time high even. Uh people are just yeah. finding ways to, to win. And that's important. Um and then mm-hmm. you know, for our people who aren't good reach back and, and pull them up and help them find the resources. You know what I'm saying? Help them find out what they're passionate in and help them out. Um but yeah, other than that, I mean, yeah, I think I think that was that was big. That's really your focus. Like you changed the mindset in the of of many African Americans. And blacks uh, everywhere, and they'll all follow suit. Yeah. All right. So, um, what are some stereotypes that you guys have um, being black that you guys have faced being black men in America, whether it's work, school, just everyday life? What are some stereotypes like we, like, that we are? came across like being black in America like say for instance I could say something for me um I being black in America in school um at first I was born in Waukegan um and lived in McHenry County until I was seven years old it was a point where me and my brother were the only black people in the entire school not class in the entire school from moving to um sit going to the city and living in um the city and going to public schools and then going back and forth from the uh, schools in the city to the schools in the suburbs and when I get to the schools in the suburbs because I'm black people think that I'm less educated or I'm not as smart as them or I don't have as much money as them. And that, those were stereotypes that I came across being black, a black girl going to school with white people. So, like, that's what I mean. Like, what stereotypes have you guys faced being black men in America? Mm. Well, I mean, a, a couple of things. I mean, really um, starting, well, especially in school, I mean, you're really not, um, well, I guess we grew up, like, in the 90s, and you know I'm saying we're kind of, like, in the 90s, kind of early 2000s generation of, of schooling and stuff like that. And, um, you know, I'm, saying, right, I'm over here telling my age and shit. 
But um, <laughs> but I ain't, you know, ain't that bad. But anyway, but yeah, we we kind of grew up in a system where it was like um, you know what I'm saying? It was very um standardized test ish, right? Like um, and black people right. didn't necessarily always have the the highest test scores and things like right. Like right. so, I mean, that would be a stereotype that people would always be like, you know, didn't expect for for the mind of a African American to be full of, fully developed and and to get high test scores, which is weird because I mean we we have a lot of black inventors and, and scientists and things like that that didn't even get the recognition before us. Um, you know, mm-hmm. that have really high IQs. So uh that was one stereotype like people would really, you know what I'm saying, always I guess shed some light on. Okay, Rashad, anything, you got anything to add? You know, I'm, I'm really trying to think about it, and, like, I always have to relate my stories based upon, like, where I come from and, like, growing up in Chicago and, and like, being from Westtown, like, on the near, on the, on the mm-hmm. near northwest side, like, I've, I've had different, somewhat, like, social ex- experiences than other people who grew up, like, west and, and, and south and shit. But but I think mm-hmm. the one stereotype um, is that I'm gonna speak about is really the one that I think that we often place on ourselves, which is actually uh, the limitation of not okay. feeling worthy or good enough. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying I think that that's something that even as little kids that we experience, and somehow. Uh, it, at least I was able to to like relate it or equate it to like being black because we grew up in environments where some of our people haven't had a certain level of success or we deal with poverty or you know what I'm saying like, like right. all of these limitations and when you start to look at yourself and reflect you you know what I'm saying you might you might really question who or what you are exactly and that's why I touched on that earlier is that we too are the blame of some of the downfalls that we experience because we're so stuck in that mindset oh the world is against us you know the system isn't made for us yes that could be true yes it is true but okay what you gonna do about it you gonna hold on to that and that's the reason why you can't achieve a different status no like that's that's the excuse and we make hella excuses for ourselves and, you know, honestly get in the own way and sabotage our success often. And I see it, you know, in peers, people you go to school with, you grow up with, you know, even in family. to go seek this knowledge so that we can become successful and reach new levels, basically. No, for sure. Um, I agree. Next question uh, is for Rashad. Um as a father, what is it like for you to raise a black little boy in America, knowing what you had to deal with and still deal with being a black man in a white man's world? Um, at times, it can be challenging. At times, mm-hmm. it can, I'm not going to say it, it can be a fearful thing, but it's like, you know, watching the news and TV and you seeing the fate of, you know, so many young black kids. And, you know, I started thinking about my son. I'm like, you know, I would hate to be the parent in that situation. Or I would hate to see Elijah go through some of these things when he gets a little bit older. Or the things that I had to go through just coming up, you know, as a response to being black. Um, but 
on the other side, it's it's really a, a honor. It's an honorable thing. I I, I think that mm-hmm. we often get caught up in in just like the pressure of 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 just the struggle. But I find beauty in like, yeah, it can be difficult, but like, look at what kind of people that we've been made into. Exactly. By way of these difficulties. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, let's be clear. Regardless of race, either you're going to sink or, uh, you're, yeah, you're going to sink or swim. Mm-hmm. Either you're going to be successful or you're not. At, at least that's my mind frame. So I try to slowly even remove the illusion or the or the pins in in my brain of race out because even though that it is a real thing i think oftentimes we place like i said earlier we place a lot of those limitations on ourselves so i try to really think about it differently i'm honored to raise a little black boy in america right now because because i mm-hmm. have to be strong for him and at the same time this is a byproduct of my name of my legacy that I'm actively building. You know what I'm saying? So I have to carry that with a little, you know what I'm saying, a little bit different, with a little bit of a chip on my shoulder. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. You know what's crazy? I'm I'm sure, I'm sure like some will say like now is like the best time to even raise black children. Like before, mm-hmm. for this reason, because like when we were, you know, the way the, our upbringing, so to speak, was kind of different. Like we were kind of lied to, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Aside from like being lied to on TV and the, you know, Santa Claus and all this shit. Like kid, like kids now, like they're, <laughs> they're 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 fucking they're open to it. You know what I'm saying? They're exposed to this shit. They can they can clearly this is their first pandemic, and they're like, yo, what the fuck is going on around here? Like you know what I'm saying? Like they're they're more they'll be more alert when they become you know. Um, adults right in later years mm-hmm. like uh to where when we were children like 9 11 like that shit was traumatizing we had to go home and shit you know what i'm saying like stuff like that where we didn't really get a fully understanding of what was happening like kids now are getting an understanding and parents are talking to them and teaching them certain skills and teaching them about the white man and hey and saying, let's being be a prayer let's be clear some of our parents didn't even have an understanding for sure though yeah you know? That's true too, and that's where the disconnect is too. Is them not necessarily understanding what was going on? And I do love about our generation how we are, you know, trying to become more aware of what's going on in the outside world, like how you know credit and financial literacy, financial Mm -hmm. freedom, um, all that is now being talked about often it's a a common conversation amongst black people which is important because we didn't learn about that I didn't know shit about credit really growing up it wasn't until you know I started paying shit and really realizing the importance Mm -hmm. of credit we didn't really learn about that they don't teach us that shit you know what I'm saying and I think that that's important which is why I wanted to you know have my facts and my information when doing this um 
doing this episode because a lot of the shit that I learned was in my adult life. Like the people that I read about in these books, I had no knowledge about. We didn't learn about this in black history growing up in schools. Yeah, you know, we learned about the Dr. Martin Luther King's, Malcolm X, you know, Rosa right. Parks and Granite. We need to learn about them, but we also need to learn about this. You guys, well, have you ever had a racist um, encounter? Like, um, how? What was your reaction to it? Hey, I, let me start off right. Let me let me get somewhat of a funny one. I've had a few, but I think one of the most I was like, like it wasn't even appalling at the time. So, I used to live in New York for a few years between like two thousand five to eight. Mm-hmm. And so I was in the Bronx, and I remember one day, uh, me and one of the homies after school, we went to a school called Eagle Academy for young men in the Bronx. It was near uh, 161st, right by Yankee Stadium. So we went to this McDonald's and shit, just getting some food or whatever, minding our business. And so there's this NYPD cop that's like, that's like in the line next over to us, but a little bit in front. And so... We overheard the nigga ordering some food and shit, right? And the motherfucker mm-hmm. tells the lady at the register, and he was like, oh, yeah, tell them niggas to give me some mustard. Oh, shit. And me and my mans look at each other like, like, buddy, did you hear that shit? <laughs> it's like, like, yeah, he, he said that shit. You know what I'm saying? It was like, like, hold on. I don't think I've ever heard a motherfucker say some shit like so blunt in such an environment. You know what I'm saying? Uh And (laughs) we laughed at it. You know what I'm saying? Of course, being ignorant little motherfuckers and shit. It's like, like, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) But it's just amazing just seeing motherfuckers in their mindsets, you know? So that, it was racist in the motherfucker. (laughs) Yeah. That shit's crazy. Yeah. That shit is definitely crazy. I, I definitely had a couple experiences. One where, um, you know what I'm saying, it, it involved law enforcement. But another, it was just, um, it was a Hispanic game around um, Noble Street, actually. It was around um, our high school and shit. Uh, oh, man. Right? Like, it was, um, what year was this? Jesus Christ, I'm losing my, my, my years. But, uh, but I want to say maybe like 2007. I want to say like 2007, 2008, shit like that, right? And um, me and um some of the guys we had got out of school early, so we, we used to get out early, like like 12:45. It's a weird shit. We used to get out dumb early sometimes. Some it, sometimes it was 1:45, sometimes it was 12:45. It was weird, but um, it was around that time we walk into the park just to hoop and shit. And I never forget this shit. We were walking to go hoop. And um, there was there was a couple schools over there. So there was a bunch of, like, Latin gangs. There was a bunch of public schools over there. So, but there was this Latin gang. I think they were the kings, to be honest. They might have. So, so for further background, not to cut you, me uh, and Danny partially went to high school in this very same neighborhood in one year at the same school. So we're talking about in between <laughs> West Town and Noble Square. Yep. And so I'm, I, and you're most likely talking about being on Noble Street, I imagine. Definitely on Noble Street. Yeah, because so like the Spanish niggas around the way used to be on some other shit. They was them niggas. If you was black, you was GDK automatically. Aut- automatically, G. And this is exactly, <laughs> exactly what happened. So we uh, we walk it. I forgot what park. I think that's Smith Park or Eckerd or some shit. That's Eckerd, yeah. Eckerd, yeah, we walk in the Eckerd Park and shit just to hoop it up. 
And um, I've been walking across the way. I mean, across the street, uh, parallel, walking the same direction or whatever. This um dude, Hispanic dude, was like, "Hey, hey, hey!" Like he was shouting to us and shit. And it's just me and my man's right. The minute he started shouting, I look. I I, lost, I looked a glimpse. I see like a group of people. It's like seventeen of them niggas. I'm like, oh fuck. And bros like, hey, hey, you GD? And I started rolling. Like I just started laughing in my head. How like, did I know? I'm like, oh my god, he's about to be on some dirt. Ironically, <laughs> if he knew me, he would know that it was. But in this instance, he didn't. So, <laughs> but, but I'm losing the story. But he was just like, yo, um, y'all GD? Then he said, he was like, nah, we straight. Then my man's girl like, man, we should take off. Dude said, GDK. And he said, yo, let's get these niggas. Yo, we started hitting the dash, bro. Time, you know, I'm, I'm, me and my mans, we, we track stars and everything. We ran for the school. You know what I'm saying? Cross country the whole night. So we get up on their ass and shit like that. I'm like, come on, G. We can't. We can't. I am not trying to be victim of nobody's pride here. Listen, we ain't got time. All right? And there was no understanding. There was no conforming amongst them. They weren't going to be the targeted type. They was ready to start smashing shit. So I'm like, all right. We got this gym. <laughs> so we took off. And we was drastically outnumbered. It was like, yo, we got to go. So we headed to, like, Chicago, I believe. Um, was that Chicago? Got to be Chicago. Yeah, Chicago Avenue, most likely. Yep. So we, we headed to Chicago and, like, made a left and shit like that. And we just we just got out that jam, but that was one instance where it was just like you know what I'm saying like it was just because of that time it was so there was so much animosity amongst minorities right and especially gangs like it was mm-hmm. you know Latin gangs against the black gangs and black gangs against black gangs and it was it was it was so fucking crazy to where if you were black like Rashad said nine times out of ten you were G like. Nine times, nine times out of ten, you were GD. They didn't care. That shit was crazy. And another time was, you know, uh, we were walking down Michigan. Um, and usually I'm never dolo. Like, every time I'm on the ground and shit, I'm with people. But I remember walking with, um, I think I was walking with Tez or some shit. Probably remember Tez. And this police officer was walking behind us. He was trying to clear. Uh, everybody was leaving the beach. It was like the street. Like, right. Oak Street Beach is the one with that little ship or some shit, right? Yeah. Yeah. So we were, we were leaving Oak Street Beach, and I guess we weren't walking fast enough. So the cop kind of, like, pushed, like, Tez or some shit. He kind of, like, pushed one of us in the back. And I'm like, damn, this nigga wildin'. And he was like, um... He said, yo, y'all need to get lost, boy. And I was like, wow, this nigga's really tripping. So I kind of, like, stopped. And I turned around, and then he was just like, you know, like, I don't know. He had, like, like his hand on his hip. Like, he was about to do something. He was, I was like, wow, these niggas is wild. But, yeah, there's a bunch of racist stories going on around here. Okay, so with racism, do you guys think that racism still exists today? Like, in what yeah. ways? Is it, like, blatant, like, back in the day with what our grandparents and parents had to deal with? Or how, how, how is it different? I think down south, more than anything, it's probably, you know, um, blatantly. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's open. Um, it's open racism. Like, them niggas still rocking Confederate flags on the back of their trucks and shit like that. Like, they, they let niggas know. You know what I'm saying? Um, shotguns and all. 
You know what I'm saying? Crosses on the fucking lawn and shit. You know, they, they still let niggas know down south for sure. Um, nah, that's uh, facts. I've seen that while facts, living in right? Atlanta. <laughs> yeah, down south yeah. for sure. Um, but, I mean, even, I mean, it's definitely, it's definitely still around. It'll probably always be around racism, right? Because the way, if you think about it, everyone's a little bit racist, right? Everyone, everyone's got a little bit racist. Yeah. Everyone's got their, you know what I'm saying, their synopsis, they got their stereotypes for each demographic. Right, right. yeah. This is going to happen, but it's definitely here. It's, it's Right now, it's more in politics and, and business, you know what I'm saying? And they're definitely doing mm-hmm. a great job of masking it sometimes. Okay. It's definitely mm-hmm. Okay, well, guys, I thank you so much for coming on this um, week's episode of Elephants in the Room podcast for some conversation and a different perspective from the male, because obviously I cannot give that. Um, before we go, go ahead and um, let everybody know y'all names again and where they can find you guys. Go ahead, Rashad. For sure. Well, you can find me on everything at I am Rashad Nasir. Highlight me on Facebook as well, Rashad Nasir. Super easy to get in contact to. Uh, as said earlier, one half of the What Up Joe podcast on all streaming sure. platforms and shit. You know what I'm saying? We are yep. here. Um, and also, one thing I want to sound off on because we're on this topic. If you have not read Message to the Black Man by Elijah Muhammad, that's a great starter yep. book if you are trying to um, have more of these dialogues and, you know, um, just, a good, just a good source of new information. You know, a very classical book. So uh, that's me. Shout out there. Peace. Thanks. Yeah, that was that was beautiful. Um, <laughs> you can find me on uh, on um, every just about social media account, including TikTok at Danny Twelve Tree. <laughs> TikTok's the dude doing right now. No, but um, Danny Twelve Tree. Um, I'm a musician as well, so you can find me on all streaming services at Danny Twelve Tree as well. Um, and then, like Rashad said it again, one half of What Up Joe podcast. Make sure you follow us on Instagram as well as all of our streaming services. We shout out to the podcast. Joe and Co family, right? Shout out to the Joe and Co family, um, and shout out to yeah. Ari. You know what I'm saying yeah. for definitely having us on and 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 blessing her her fucking um, fans with some insight from a <laughs> black male's perspective and shit. We definitely appreciate you <laughs> and shit like that. Um, but. Yeah, no I wanted to. Um, I forgot to mention, um, when we were talking about the credit, um, like you know, when you were talking about learning your credit and everything, and, and credit, just like yeah. financial uh, freedom and stability, that uh, my family actually started a uh, credit boosting agency that I actually am a part okay. of. You know what I'm saying? So I'm shout them out as well. We go by Lyric Credit Boost on social media and um. Yeah, I'm definitely here to help, you know what I'm saying? Everybody get their credit intact and shit like that. So, yeah, y'all just got to holler at me. You know what I'm saying? That's at Lear Credit Boost, you know what I'm saying, on Instagram and shit. But, yeah, yeah, you know what I'm saying? Just, you know, a little promo and shit for now. You know no, go ahead. Little... Definitely. I think that, that that's dope and people need to know about that because we don't know about these things. So, thank you for uh, shouting your uh people out because I didn't even know that about you so I just learned yeah, something Danny does, oh. um, 
<laughs> all right, y'all. Thank y'all so much. And that is that. Big thanks to Danny and Rashad for coming on the show and sharing their experiences with me. Make sure y'all check out the What Up Joe podcast in your free time. So earlier, I also mentioned that in doing this episode, I made sure to do my research when speaking on racism and being black in America in the past and current day. And I was talking to my granny the other day and we got on the topic of my podcast and she was giving me her feedback on the first episode which sparked a great conversation. Um, I got to telling her about the different topics that I was planning on talking about, and being black in America being one of them. And she told me how she recently watched a speech Louis Farrakhan did on white supremacy and the solution to the problems of race and how I should watch it when I got a chance. And so I did exactly that. And I'm glad I did because it was very inspirational and motivational. And ironically, the speech was given at Illinois State University back in the 90s, I believe. And I attended ISU from 2013 to 2016 myself. Um, And Rashad mentioned the book Message to the Black Man in America by Elijah Muhammad earlier, which I also read, who taught Louis Farrakhan. And I strongly encourage all to watch this speech on YouTube one day. Now, it is a bit lengthy, but it's definitely worth the time. So, Granny, shout out to you for putting me on. So, I'll be sharing with you all some takeaways that I got from his speech. And he speaks on the legacy of racism and how power was a major component in the equation of racism. That since slavery, the race that dislikes blacks had the power to enforce their dislike and hate upon us. How how we're viewed as the inferior race only being seen as singers, dancers, athletes, entertainers, etc. Now, I don't know how much y'all know about Louis Farrakhan or if you've ever seen or heard him speak, but the man is candid, bold, and confident. He does not hold back, and I admire him so much for that, especially being that way back in the day. So it's not hard to imagine that him speaking at a predominantly white institution on white supremacy wasn't the university's top choice. And he calls out how scouts go all over the country to recruit black men and women for their sports teams. And those same teams are bringing in majority, if not most of the revenue for these universities. Yet blacks receive less funding than their white peers. He also talks about how the black organization that invited him Budget was cut from $13,000 to $10,000 after booking Farrakhan to come speak. And that part stood out to me because if you fast forward about 20-something years later, I'm a black student at ISU who eventually ends up on two exec boards of black organizations on campus and still experience the same problems still receive less funding than white organizations and being treated significantly different from the white organizations in certain instances when all we were trying to do is create events for the black community on campus. So Farrakhan also touched on how whites like to say that they discovered blacks and they only become interested in us when they can benefit or profit from us. He also lets listeners know that in speaking 
on the harsh truths of racism and white supremacy that is not to shame whites, but to address the truth. Quote, the purpose for truth is not to condemn color, but to condemn the wrong, end quote. And I love that he said that because it annoys me that when us black folks speak on our truth, whites get so defensive and feel like we're attacking them when in reality we're stating our truth, our reality. And with us doing that, if you don't like what you hear about your people, then do something about it. Speak to your peers, your colleagues, relatives about their behavior and hold them accountable for their actions. Farrakhan's point is still accurate present day. Rihanna's acceptance speech at the 2020 NAACP Image Awards touched on the same thing. Quote, we cannot fix the world divided. We have to fix it together. If it's not your problem, it's not our problem. And she also brought up that friends and colleagues who are white that want to break bread with you, tell them to pull up for marches and protests also, end quote. And I commend Rihanna for using her platform at the award show to address that elephant in the room for the world to see. Lewis also added that truth doesn't care who you are or what you have, and no one is above truth. And just a while ago, we heard the perspective of what it's like being a black man in America from two guys from my generation. But I wanted to also hear what it's like to be a black, to be black in America from the generation before us, from a woman's perspective. So to me, she is simply Graham, but I'll let her introduce herself. Graham? Hi. Hello, hey everyone. I uh, am Theodora Beasley, better known as Teddy, better known as Graham, <laughs> because I adopt all the children that I can adopt, and uh, play the role of grandmother to them because I love, I, I could have had 50 children because I love everybody. Yes. So I've been asked to make comments about Farrakhan. Farrakhan has been in my life for a number of years mm -hmm. and I uh, go to Savior's Day because I love to hear him speak because he does speak truth. Mm -hmm. He is very direct. Yes. There's no questioning anything that I have ever heard him say as relates to being black in this country. Okay. Okay. I've had very minimal interaction in situations where being black has done anything to my self-respect, my confidence, and all of that I can attribute to my family mm -hmm. and the way I was raised. And coming from the generation that was born in 1939, yes, I'm 80 years old, almost 81, <laughs> um, but loving life and loving my people has been my focus. So Farrakhan has given me a lot of support and guidance and just made my mental capacity uh, even greater in terms of my ability to deal with being a black female of my generation. And to speak again in terms of my family and the way I was raised, we were very guarded, very mm -hmm. guarded back in the uh, 
40s and 50s when I was growing up and became a teenager. And because my family had that role that they played, that they didn't bow to anyone, Mm -hmm. they made their own way in, in life, and they made decisions when it came to anything related to anybody in the family. It was a a conversation Mm -hmm. in terms of what my family was going to accept. And I would like to share the fact that I was never really impacted in terms of racism Mm -hmm. until I was in college. Okay. Because I, I, I was so guarded as a youngster. My roots are in Montgomery, Alabama. Okay. Where we went uh, many summers to spend time with our grandparents. But again, I have to keep saying that we're guarded because incidents related to racism were very minimal. I think I was 11 years old mm-hmm. when I had an incident Mm-hmm. in Montgomery, Alabama, okay. because I was born in Detroit, Michigan. I should have said that in the first place. I was born in Detroit, Michigan, but uh, Michigan, but we did go to Alabama in the summer, or my grandparents uh, would come to Michigan during the summer. So we always had that activity of knowing about the South. But the incident I made reference to, I think I was 10 or 11, and my grandmother's restaurant was right down the street. So when we would go to the restaurant uh, from the rural area where my grandparents still lived, I would always pass this place. What is the name of the the ice cream place? what is the ice cream place? Oh, uh, is it common now? Is it yeah, like Oprah's yeah. or no, no, Baskin the Robin? place where you went to buy ice cream. Uh, I, I go to Baskin Robbins, Graham. Yeah, so yeah. I don't know. <laughs> no, I gotta think of, oh, the Dairy Queen. Oh, Dairy, Dairy Queen. Queen. I'm like, oh. yeah, you gotta fix this real. Yeah. Okay, going back to Alabama one summer. I got the confidence to ask my grandmother for permission to go down to the Dairy Queen. Mm-hmm. And it, it was intriguing to me because the ice cream was, you know, just calling my name. And so <laughs> I did get up the courage and I did ask her if I could go down there. She gave me a look and then she said, okay, but go get your ice cream and come right back. I felt like I was on top of the world because my grandmother (laughs) allowed me and trusted me to walk down the street alone Mm -hmm. and go to the Dairy Queen. (laughs) Well, as I approached the door to go into the Dairy Queen, I observed the lady in there thrashing her arms and pointing, and I eventually understood that she was telling me to go not come in the door, but to go around to the side. Okay. 
And of course, not aware of these things down south, so I had no clue. Mm -hmm. But I went around to the window and I decided in my mind that if you only want an ice cream cone, you don't have to go inside the Dairy Queen. You just go to the window and get your ice cream cone. Mm -hmm. Well, of course, my trust from my grandmother allowed me to go down there. I thought I had done something wrong. So when I got back, I told her that I... I didn't. I did something wrong, and she said, "Baby, what did you do?" I said, "I was going in the door, and the lady was upset because I was coming in the door." And immediately, my grandmother had this look. She snatched her apron off, mm-hmm. and she grabbed me, and down to the Dairy Queen we went. Uh oh. She busted in that door. <laughs> she said to that lady, "Look at this baby. She doesn't know anything about this foolishness down here. She's from up north." Don't you ever send my grandchild around to that window. If she comes in this door to get her ice cream, then you give her her ice cream. Well, of course, I'm devastated because I'm scared to death. Mm -hmm. I don't know, you know, why my grandmother had to go and deal with that. But nevertheless, I never went back to the Dairy Queen. (laughs) I had no desire to go to the Dairy Queen for years. And when I say years, I was grown and married and had children the next time I went to Dairy Queen because I was with a cousin who we were on the highway. And she said, oh, I know a place uh, where there's a Dairy Queen. And I thought, the Dairy Queen? I don't want to go there. But we went, and so that was my one and only time ever going back to a Dairy Queen. But on a more serious issue, I, as I say, I'm from Detroit, so many people know that there's a university in Detroit that's very common, and most people know of Wayne State University. Mm -hmm. Well, as I was approaching that time to go to college, I thought I would just go to Wayne State like everybody else. Well, my family decided differently. And uh, my aunt, who was in charge of education, as I note, my family makes decisions. Children didn't make decisions. Mm -hmm. And so they said, well, no, you don't need to go to Wayne State. Everybody goes to Wayne State. And so we want you to go to the University of Detroit. Well, I didn't have any choice in the matter, so that September, I went to the University of Detroit, which happens to be a private Jesuit university. Mm-hmm. It has nothing to do with anything except that it was not far from the house. Um, and, you know, I had easy access because I was still living at home. And so, of course, I didn't have a problem, you know, it was just me going to college. And I think there, there might have been 20 black students on the, on the campus at that point in 1956. 20 black students. Yeah. On the entire campus. On the entire campus, right. That was not a place that black students went. Everybody went to Wayne, as I said. Mm -hmm. So... Anyway, I was okay because I had uh, the student my, uh, mindset. Uh, that all I was intending to do was what my family expected of me, and mm-hmm. that was to be a good student, which I had always been. 
because I went to a wonderful grammar school. I went to a wonderful high school. Mm-hmm. None of which was uh, brought to me in terms of school from the perspective of being a black student. Mm-hmm. I had nothing but white teachers. The children, the student body was mixed. And so I was not intimidated by, you know, having white teachers or being okay. with white students. My first black teacher was in high school biology. Mm-hmm. So, big deal. So I go to the University of Detroit. And um, for whatever reason, I hooked up with a group of uh, young guys who happened to be white, and we studied together. Mm-hmm. And so I'm doing what I know to do as a student, you know, taking care of my business. And I encounter a class of freshman English. Well, freshman English was no threat to me because I couldn't add two and two, but I can write. <laughs> and so freshman English was nothing to give me any cause for concern. Mm-hmm. So at a point, as I continued to turn in my little freshman compositions, I kept getting Ds. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know what to think. I didn't know what to do. All I knew was that I could not take Bs home for grades because that wouldn't work. (laughs) (laughs) And my aunt, who was in charge of education, I was afraid to tell her, so I never told her. But I decided that I needed to speak with the professor and find out what I was doing wrong. Mm -hmm. Well, I would stay after class, he would talk to students, and then he would he ignored me. He ignored me several times. And by me being the little quiet, reticent, you know, little girl that I felt like in that situation, I just kept trying to get his attention. And finally, one day, I did the same thing. I'm sitting there waiting my turn. And so I walked up to the desk, and in my innocent voice, I said, Professor, I need to know what I'm doing wrong with my compositions. Mm -hmm. Well, the next moment, it was like terror. Who wrote those compositions, he said. I, I wrote them. No, you couldn't have written them. I have seniors who don't write that well. I thought, oh, my goodness. What am I supposed to do? So, not wanting to tell on myself to my family, I went back to my high school and I approached my Latin teacher who I had had for three and a half years of Latin, Mm -hmm. who knew me very well. And she really could not say anything (laughs) encouraging because she was helpless to do anything to help me. But what she did say was, Theodora, I just think that the professor is not accustomed to having little colored students who write as well as you Mm -hmm. write. Well, where do I go from here? I have no idea. And he did give me a D as a grade. Mm. which, of course, my parents and the family, because 
all the family had all the information about all the children and what we were and were not doing. Mm -hmm. So I'm embarrassed. Like, I don't know what to do. I have no idea what I'm doing wrong. And when he said that, you know, who wrote those and me saying, oh, my goodness, he's accusing me of plagiarizing some of those silly freshman compositions. Mm -hmm. So... You know, my my fear was that I was in real trouble. Mm -hmm. And I did get that D for that grade. Mm -hmm. So, long story short, I didn't make it at the University of Detroit. I did leave and uh, I was allowed to leave. Let me make sure I'm saying I was allowed to leave. The family mm -hmm. knew that. Things weren't working out there for me. Mm -hmm. They even were, my parents were approached with me um, having them to give consent for me to take some tests. Mm -hmm. And they agreed, they consented, and they got the reports and the, the test, you know, results just reflected that the only thing I didn't know anything about in terms of what they thought was interesting or necessary was sports. Well, I like sports, but I didn't, you know, keep up with it to really have, a, you know, the ability to discuss, to discuss sports. But that was an experience that at that university, I knew, began to understand, I should say, how I, as a black student, would be treated in an environment that was thoroughly racist. Mm -hmm. Some years later, I was in Dallas, Texas in a hotel. As we were there with the Alpha Convention with my husband. And going back and forth in the hotel during that week, I would see this young lady and she and I began to, you know, acknowledge each other and speak. Come to find out, we're both from Detroit and she knew about the University of Detroit, which mm -hmm. was a shocker to me. But I asked her, I said, is that place still as racist as, you know, it was when I was there, you know, uh, back in the, the time I was a freshman there in the 50s? She said, yes, it is. Mm. However, the students are uh, very different mm -hmm. in terms of their acceptance of that racism. So... No, they, they try it, but it doesn't work. Really work. Okay. It doesn't really work, it, you know. Because explaining to her my situation and why I was not able to stay there and graduate there. And, uh, of course, one other factor that I should say is that that is a private Jesuit university, and I was never Catholic. So I did feel that that had some bearing on some things, mm -hmm. but... Uh, it was not for me to stay there, and I didn't. I ended up graduating from Roosevelt University here in Chicago. Okay. Well, I would like to know, how has being a black woman in America changed for you over time? Living during the era of, you know, where racism was very prominent and segregation and white supremacy, versus how it is now in 2020 because i feel like now there's still racism but they're like indirect you know mm -hmm. so how has it changed for you well personally? i can't say that it has changed that much 
And I think that is because the doors that were open during the time I was a youngster growing up, we had a lot of civil rights activity, great deal of civil rights activities, uh, very prominent names that all of you know you are probably aware of, uh, particularly Dr. King, Rosa Parks, mm -hmm. and uh, many, many, many others. And even though I always have to acknowledge how guarded we were as, as young people in my family. Mm -hmm. the, the experiences that I had in terms of growing up and knowing how I liked being myself and had no problem with my, my blackness because, you know, even going from color to Negro to black, mm -hmm. I still always had a good feeling about myself because of my family mm -hmm. embracing us the way they did and acknowledging our abilities and wanting us to strive to do things that we were uh, confident in, in accomplishing in life. And education was one of the main things. But I don't have the knowledge or the experience that a lot of black people have because I have been able to succeed in my interests mm -hmm. in terms of working and etc. But I did have something very funny that happened uh, in terms of um, a group of ladies I worked with. Not not I worked with, I worked in, as a social worker. Mm -hmm. And so um, I did have a group of ladies at one time and the discussion came up and it was interesting that they were astonished that I liked being black. <laughs> really? Yes. And I was looking at them and thinking, well, why would I not like being black? It's the best thing ever. And, and, then, <laughs> trying to tell and them. <laughs> I was standing there looking at me and they said, you really like being black? Well, that was, that was interesting to me that I'm thinking these people think we don't like being black. Yes, we do. Love it. I'm telling y'all, I said, in fact, I said, I run to the mirror every morning when I get out of bed and make sure <laughs> that this this person is black because it's the best thing ever and of course they're looking stunned and confused and I, but it let us know let me know that they really think we don't like it yeah so i i just was so glad they said what they said to me so i could tell them of course <laughs> we love it yeah this is the best thing ever and they they really exhibited a lot of confusion and they had to change a lot of their thoughts and i mean we got along you know well and all that good stuff but they let me know they did not know that that was something that black people really did and that was to like themselves that is so how about that kick in the head that's that's interesting mm -hmm. so one last... oh and that was in the in the area of bridgeport which is a very racist oh. part of Chicago. Oh, I definitely know. Yeah, Bridgeport. Bridgeport. Mm. I was in one of those schools in Bridgeport in Chicago, which is a very segregated um, uh, community. <laughs> and I covered that community 
And I did ask my uh, supervisor why I was assigned to that area. Mm-hmm. Uh, needed to be in some black areas as far as I was concerned. And she told me she assigned me to that particular area because she felt I was the best one to really deal with that. I thought, oh, please. <laughs> and, and I guess she kind of sort of was right because um, I had no issues over there except one incident. Here mm-hmm. we go with this incident. <laughs> it's always one. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I had, um, as I said, I was with this group, and um, one of the ladies had some something that she wanted me to see in her house. Well, I would always, you know, be busy. I got to do something. I don't have time. I got to go, uh, whatever. I would make an excuse because I didn't feel that I needed to be that friendly or that close with the particular group that I was dealing with. Mm-hmm. But one day we needed to do something because she was um, in charge of the group um, that I worked with and we needed to do something and our time was limited and the only time we could do it was after school. So we went about and did whatever and then I, and then she said, oh good, you can come in and see this collection I have. Oh, I didn't have any excuse at that moment, you know. So I went on in and as I went in her home, Her husband greeted me because it was, you know, by me being the black person in that community Mm -hmm. and going to those schools, everybody knew. But um, as we were sitting there chatting, you know, she was showing me this collection and uh, her doorbell, uh, well, I guess it was a knock on the door and this man came in and... um, as he walked in, I observed that he raised his arm and looked at his watch. Mm-hmm. And what he said to me was, isn't school out? I said, yes, school is out. However, I have a car that takes me where I want to go when I want to go. Mm-hmm. And so he kind of backed down because I gave him that direct response. Mm -hmm. And the lady said, oh, let's go downstairs. When we went downstairs, she exhibited her fury. She was literally so angry. She Mm -hmm. turned beet red. And she was trying to apologize to me. Mm-hmm. And I said, no, 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 no need for an apology. I said, if I had come into your home and your husband had given me any indication that I was not welcome or that, you know, he had a problem with, he, with me coming into the home, I said, but that, he has nothing to do with whatever goes on here as right. far as I'm concerned. And so I sat down, crossed my legs, and stayed as long as I wanted to stay. I know that's right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so however he got over whatever, I have no clue. But all I know is that he saw my car sitting in front of the house and had to know I did not leave. I stayed as long as I wanted to stay. And so here we go with that incident. And it just, it just was so funny to me that he actually came to their house to uh, question why I was there. 
Yeah, just school out. Yeah, school is out. <laughs> like, man, if you don't mind the business that pays you and <laughs> get out of mine. Well, but you, this is not your house. Exactly. <laughs> if I told her if her husband had given me any indication, but he did not. So I wasn't concerned about what they <laughs> I'm bothered at its finest. No, so just, be, you know, being the age that I am in terms of being a black woman and knowing different things uh, occur to black people, mm-hmm. some of the things that just make me feel good is the benefit of being a certain age mm-hmm. having come through a, a lot of seasons in terms of racism and really learning about racism not so much from my personal life mm-hmm. but from knowing that if you're black you're expected to not do well you're expected to be a problem or have mm-hmm. issues or whatever and I don't have life experiences that ever ever gave me any reason and not to feel comfortable with Mm -hmm. myself and then I think it was sometime last year I heard that the greatest population graduating from college are black female from uh, black females Mm -hmm. and that made me feel good Um, we have in our environment people who I do believe are still fighting the fight that has always been necessary Mm -hmm. and that's uh, Reverend Jackson. With you saying that if you had one piece of advice for the listeners for how to um, survive so to speak as a minority in America what would it be? It would be to believe in yourself, first of all, and to love yourself Mm -hmm. and love those near and dear to you. And a lot of issues that I think a a black person experiences is that we haven't had a lot of examples Mm -hmm. in some instances. And the examples that were set when I was a youngster were marvelous, wonderful. Mm -hmm. You could expect to know that you could say no. Mm -hmm. You could do something if you wanted to do it. You could not do something you didn't want to do Mm -hmm. because you you didn't ever want to disappoint the people who loved and cared about you. Right. It may sound very simplistic to say it like that, Mm -hmm. but that is really what I believe molds a person and that is that you don't want to live with regrets you don't want to look back with any regrets in terms of not representing yourself your family Mm -hmm. your loved ones people who care about you and you just have to overcome whatever hurdles because those hurdles are not going away right uh, right, the racism that we are experiencing today in 2020 mm-hmm. with no expectation that we will be able to stand up and fight for our rights mm-hmm. 
the the discrepancies will always be there mm -hmm. and i i don't want to sound totally without hope or without vision for the future but it's the reality. but it's the reality that we have lived with every day every day we live and breathe that reality of racism and separatism and unfairness and we have this current virus where we are as black people dying with larger percentages than we even exist mm -hmm. and that's a, a grave concern grave concern in terms of where we actually are going to be in terms of going forward this is a time of reflection and I just hope that there is some kind of hope that the children have because we've heard, you know, too often our younger generations don't think about what's going to happen in the future. Right. They they just know today and that's all they're concerned about. Mm -hmm. uh, and I hope that the popularity, which is a, maybe a kind of a small word to use, the popularity of those who are still fighting the good fight mm -hmm. and still knowing that civil rights are not shared equally right. around not only this country but around the world. Mm -hmm. And the things that we need to be concerned about are the children. Yes. Are, are they actually getting a foundation that will help them be confident seek knowledge, explore. The life that we live can't survive if, if the children, if the children are not given support and guidance. And I, I just hope that I hear better things about some of the children that I have been in uh, contact with mm -hmm. that don't have the support, that don't have the self-confidence right and they're just influenced by things they see in the neighborhood right and, and TV. you know hearing that their children who've never been in the areas that uh, this city uh, offers is very disturbing mm -hmm. but the fears that we have for violence are really impacting a lot of our children who don't know how to go outside and play. Right. They have no outside to play in. To play in that they can feel safe. Right. And that is very disturbing, very hurtful. Very very hurtful to someone my age when children don't know how to play. Uh they know how to push buttons. They're into the technology. But the imagination that was so prevalent when I was going, you had to use your imagination mm -hmm. for a lot of things. And I don't see a lot of that now. Nope. I just don't see a lot of it. So that's a grave concern. But we need to really take a serious look at what's happening at the children, happening for and with the children so that they can look forward to a life where being black, they can actually say I'm black and, and I'm, I'm proud. proud.
Well, Graham, I definitely enjoyed the conversation with you, as I always enjoy our conversation. Thank you so much for being a guest on Elephants in the Room podcast. And that is a wrap. Well, I thank you. So, guys, I'm going to end today's episode on that note. Um, But before I go, I want to again thank everyone for the support and the feedback on the episodes I've done thus far. I hope you all are able to take something away from today's episode and uh, my previous episodes. And know that being black in America, we will face more obstacles than our peers. But we have the power to make a difference while living on Earth. And once we realize and own our power, we'll be able to do everything we've ever imagined and more. So I'm going to leave y'all with this quote from Think and Grow Rich, A Black Choice. I accept full responsibility for both of the successes and failures in my life. If I am not what I desire to be at this point, what I am is my compromise. Thanks for tuning in, y'all. It's your girl, Ari Marie, and I am out.